0: In my first podcast back after a bit of a hiatus, I wanted to share a recent interview I did with my friend Alvin Laxamana on his All Things Fresh podcast. Now, I've created over 100 episodes here that share the knowledge, the wisdom, background, and expertise from other health and fitness professionals, but in doing so have held back my own story and experiences that I think you may find insightful. So moving forward, part of my mission is to provide as much value and real world experience by sharing more of the lessons that I've gleaned as I approach close to 20 years as a coach. And it all starts today. So I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for more helpful content from myself, other experts in the field, and hopefully through sharing more of my journey, you can truly see that making smart nutrition decisions Isn't always easy, but it certainly can be simple.
1: Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and World Championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today. And without further ado, let's jump right in.
2: Today's guest is Ben Brown. Ben is someone I've worked with creatively. I've also taken his fitness classes at my place of employment. These things aside, I've been very fascinated with Ben Brown since the day I met him. Some of the recurring themes you'll see throughout his story is mentorship, hard work, perseverance, and of course that S word that seems to pop up in every episode is his struggle. I really wanted to start with how we met, so where the story begins with us, and then I wanted to reverse out of there and get a better understanding of your story, which I feel like I know just a small taste of it, but I, w- I wanted to definitely dig a little deeper into there and, and get a better understanding of what, what things happened and, and what different decisions you made and changes you made to get you to where you are today. In January of 2019, I moved to Arizona And I quickly discovered that my company, Crown Castle, had a couple of on-site personal trainers running workout classes three times a day, 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 5 p.m. And I soon learned that Ben Brown was the mastermind behind it all. And without any other intentions except for taking advantage of the classes, I gave it a whirl and enjoyed them. And from there... Ben and I started chatting a little more, and soon enough, that led to us working together, making videos for the company, and then also working outside of that. And to this day, we continue to work together. But besides that, one of the things I noticed about you was you are someone I hope to somewhat emulate when I get to your age. And I don't say that like in a, you're an old geezer type of way, but I'm 33. And I believe you just told me not too long ago that you just turned 40. So... There you go. For, hey, belated happy birthday. I just remember you telling me about your 40th. Um, she, she threw you a surprise party at your, your house. Anyways, belated happy birthday, by the way. And what I'm getting at is f- what I'm noticing for the so far for the audience that listens to this podcast is the age range is majority male, ranging from about 26 to 32, 34 years old. And I I believe your story and the insight you'll offer is going to be very valuable for those listening because most, basically all my friends are getting married, have gotten married, are starting to have families and are needing to now step into that juggling it all mentality. And I think that's where I think you'll help a lot of the folks listening with your story. So I'm wondering around the time that we met, this this was January twenty nineteen, and then we can back out from there. What was going on with you in your personal and business life around that time?
0: Uh yeah. So, January twenty nineteen. Um, yeah. So you know, I was running, obviously, running the corporate wellness program for for the company that you work for, Crown Castle, and um, we were in a bit of an interesting situation, simply because the company had gone through a, a bit of a transition. Uh, sort of an ongoing transition. And so was my company, frankly, um, in that I was in the process of buying out a business partner. And I had started the corporate wellness program with a friend at the time, we became business partners. He actually brought this corporate wellness. He he brought this sort of contact for Crown Castle to the table, and then it was, as you said, sort of my idea to put this this, this comprehensive program together and 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 we introduced it several years prior to Crown, and it kind of got it started with a with a one president in place who had then since transitioned on, and it started to snowball into something that was really tangible and and fruitful and rewarding, and and then at that point, it, starting in, uh, I, I wanna say maybe spring of of 2018, things between us, my business partner, I had put a ton of time and energy into the program, and he, not so much, and sometimes that just happens with, with business, with relationships in general, with partnerships certainly, with businesses, and um, it got to the point where it really was, there was a lot of resentment, on both ends, frankly, um, uh, he felt like he wasn't, I wasn't including him maybe per se into the program. I felt like he wasn't bringing anything to the table. And so it ended up in a partnership buyout. And so I was in the process of of paying him out, which was not a comfortable position to be in. At the same time, Crown Castle was restructuring. A new president had come to the helm, a much more fiscally conservative president. Um, And was really making me work for justifying the program that we had in place. Frankly, just saying, why is it that we have this program? Why do we need this program? Why are we spending this much on a program like this? Why can't I just, you know, why can't I just have my employees pay them 50 bucks a month to go use the gym? Like this, you know, the typical stuff. Really not seeing the underlying value in working to keep your employees happy and healthy. You know, and I, I get it from his end and, and so it goes. But, you know, that was some of the stuff, some of the stressors that I was dealing with in addition to growing a, a one-on-one online coaching business, running uh, part of that is running a supplement business. You know, we had formulated a, an all-in-one workout product that we have on the market that, you know, we're continuing to uh, sell and try and grow. And so a lot of moving pieces, certainly.
2: I love it. And that helps set the stage for what I came into when I met you. And so from there, I'd like to dial it back a little bit. And I, I, I guess I want to learn more about your upbringing, where you grew up, uh, the, the places you spend a lot of time in, w- where you identify as home. If you can walk us through a little bit of that, please.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Heart of the Midwest, um, amazing place to grow up, amazing place to be. I got a wonderful, I was very fortunate to get, you know, I mean, I grew up upper middle class, relatively nice neighborhood, went to a private college preparatory school. So I I received a phenomenal education and I wasn't terribly motivated growing up, but by virtue of sort of the built-in accountability of that type of schooling forced me to excel beyond what I I believe I would have done in a public setting. So for me that was in hindsight extremely rewarding. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was into sports, I was into skateboarding and snowboarding. And yeah, I was at at the time, you know, in my adolescence kind of connected with skateboarding, like hanging around uptown Minneapolis, which at the time was very grunge, very alternative. This was early 90s. And Really got just really great exposure to different culture, different people, different demographics, uh, which I believe was instrumental in just kind of rounding me into the person that I am, the way that I see things. Uh, I always had a strong work ethic. So from the time I was 14 years old, I, was, I started working in uptown Minneapolis, started bagging groceries. Yeah, just, you know, it's kind of the, the street smarts type aspect to, to counter the, the academia. That i was getting on the other side so i believe that i always had a nice balance between those two in terms of the people that i was hanging around with now they're never getting too lost in that sort of yuppie mindset uh private waspy for all intensive purposes uh, culture. Yeah. And just, you know, worked my way. I, I always had a job through high school, despite playing sports, you know, in the off season, I'd be working, doing oil in and handyman work. And through the summers, I did a lot of repair, like uh, like deck repair, handyman type stuff, um, which was great. Just, just hands-on stuff. And I've always been interested in fitness and, and health and used to read books on Navy SEALs and Arnold Schwarzenegger and that you know that was the time when all the Arnold movies were out like the Terminator and Commando and Sylvester Stallone you know Rambo and I was super into all that shit I mean just wanted to be a badass dude and and you know started working out when I was 15 or 16 for sports and and obviously for aesthetics as well and yeah I mean that and, and I mean just growing up in Minneapolis was it's just such a great place because it's, it's a very strong sense of community. It's obviously outdoors. It's relatively safe, at least in the areas where I grew up. And it's interesting, the dichotomy now with obviously all the George Floyd stuff um, starting in Minneapolis um, and having its, you know, the, um, the black lives matter movement really, uh, growing or resurging if you will out of minneapolis which growing up there i don't know that i ever realized that there was such a dichotomy present and now in Heightside, i can absolutely see it but you know it's kind of the nature of the beast and, yeah. and so again i was afforded a different type of lifestyle than a lot of people growing up in
2: in north or south minneapolis and uh yeah so where do you want to go from there well i'm curious at what point did you transition out of Minneapolis, and what was the, what was the story behind that?
0: Um, again, college preparatory high school, so really was being pushed to like go to uh, some sort of top tier college, and I, I had got recruited to go play football at a D three school and in Oregon, and, and frankly, I, I'll say I'll use the term recruiting light very lightly in that. Uh, I was decent football player, but I tore my ACL my junior year, like first scrimmage of the year. So I missed my entire junior year. I played my senior year and I, I, I played well. Um, but you know, not so well that I was really that much of a strong recruit for college. So basically by virtue of just applying to a D three school that happened to have a football team that happened to need players, I'll use the term recruited. Yeah. Um, And so this was Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, and got accepted there. Wanted to get basically as far from home as possible. And Portland, Oregon from Minneapolis was basically it in terms of either West Coast or East Coast. Definitely wasn't going East Coast. West Coast, uh, Portland, right next to Mount Hood. I knew I could snowboard. They get rain all year round, so I knew it would be good snow. Um, Went out there my first year, played football. Wasn't terribly good. Didn't really care that much about it. Um, was too, uh, too small to be an outside linebacker, too slow to be a strong safety basically. Uh, and, and similar to what I, you know, alluded to growing up is I never really, I never really jived with any one particular group in terms of, you know, with the football team and especially being in Portland, like just liberals, um, which is fine. Hippies, if you will especially at Lewis and Clark, very liberal school. So like the women didn't shave. Well, wow. some of them did, but a lot of them didn't. Um, you know, the the guys, again, it's just this very, very loose culture. So you either were an athlete or you were a hippie, uh, for lack of a better term. Right. And I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, associate with either one. Um, I was friends with both groups of people and I wasn't the, the penultimate jock, nor was I the ultimate stoner,
2: (laughs) right? Do you, do you think that helped you fit in or kind of made it feel like you didn't fit in because you didn't associate too far into one or the other?
0: I think both. Um, I, I would say that certainly, you know, freshman year of college, as many people have experienced, it's a tough time. You leave all your friends, especially growing up with a very, very close knit community of people. I mean, I graduated with 86 kids in high school. we'd been together since kindergarten i started in first grade at this school so i'd been together with them i'd very very close girl and guy friends and so obviously that's a difficult transition and then you kind of going into this where you don't really feel like you don't really fit in especially playing ball not a standout athlete and not really resonating with sort of this just meathead mentality and then on the other side obviously just not resonating with the other group of people so i really that was a hard time for me because i didn't feel like i fit in very very well I was drinking a lot and, you know, just, just partying. I mean, I didn't really, I'd started drinking in high school with friends, obviously. And I think that it was a little out of control in terms of just getting just trashed every weekend and it wasn't serving me well. And I was doing dumb stuff and getting in trouble at school and obviously affecting my grades to the point where basically halfway through that first year, I knew I wasn't coming back. I finished the football season. And sort of it set my sights on. All right, I'm finished the year, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of quote unquote take some time off, whatever that means. I had applied to some other schools. I applied to University of Arizona. I applied to University of Wisconsin Madison because uh, there was some reciprocity between Minneapolis and Madison, and we have a strong familial tie to University of Arizona and Tucson. Uh, my my mom, my uncle went there. I had some extended family in town there, and, and so I was kind of like, yeah. Think I can see myself transferring down there at some uh, a very close high school buddy who's at school there and but you know I got into both I just I decided to take some time off and uh, after the end of the school year in Oregon threw everything in the car drove down to Tucson and set up residence and uh, my parents said if you're not going to be in school we're not going to support you wow and and so I got a job at Old Chicago serving you know waiting tables and it was awesome. I mean frankly it was like I didn't have to worry about school I was never terribly motivated about school anyways but you know started working and doing the whole server thing as so many people do and and again just partying my ass off like it was definitely connected with that I had some friends so as I said I had a, a good high school friend who went to school down there I you know automatically was then became associated with his friends and kind of that group and and we were just partying a lot and it was fun, but again, not making the best decisions, not
2: super do you feel like you f- you started to fit in a little more with that move and that transition yeah I mean, though? by virtue
0: of we all we did was drink and you know and I worked and there was cool people that I worked with, and i didn't have any responsibilities just to pay my bills and it was fun, you know it was cool, but very quickly. And maybe six months in, it was like, okay. You this know, is getting
2: old. Yeah,
0: this is getting old real quick. I can v- see very quickly like months where you know, you're blowing all of my tips on I'm going out and it's like, all right, well, I need to kind of figure out what the next step is. And frankly, I miss playing sports. Um, I was getting really out of shape. And for someone that had always kind of prided myself on being in shape and kind of focusing on nutrition, this was just a complete 180. Um, So I wasn't feeling great about myself despite still exercising a little bit. I right. just, so I was like, all right, let me get back in school, reapplied to U of A, got back in and shortly thereafter, kind of joined the rugby team. And that was, for me, was like really the, you know the change needed, the the accountability I needed to get focused, the get serious, get clear on what it is that I was going to do. Because frankly, I just had a really amazing coach and a community of guys. And despite the fact that, like, yeah, dude, we were playing rugby, um, we of course were partying a lot, but it was different in that you had the time to party, you had the time to get serious about training, and. If you're not serious about training, you're not going to play. And if you're not serious about school, you're not going to play. And it just really gave me the drive I needed to kind of start to get serious about school again. And um, How old were you at this point? I was 21. I was 21, 22, had a basically another two and a half, three years left of school that I needed yeah. to grind out yeah uh in a shorter period of time to to kind of make it into
2: that's a great age to dial it in uh in terms of you know having someone help you wake up and and realize what you need to be doing and i want to pause there for a second because coming into into the phoenix office and meeting you one of the things that was already heavy on my mind was the idea of mentorship and i remember you and i have had conversations about this and even today you talk about certain folks that that have provided mentorship to you. Would you say this coach, your your rugby coach, d- did he serve as as a, an instrumental mentor in terms of like one of the firsts, or do you think prior to him there were already certain role models that that helped, but per, just perhaps it was going in one ear out the other?
0: Yeah, no, it's such a great question, and hundred percent, he was one of my first real mentors. I mean, aside from my father, who just by you know virtue of of leading by example um he really truly was someone that i needed and, and found at just the right time i mean legitimately i feel like it's saved me in so many different ways to have joined the rugby team to have this coach uh to there to support me and push me and and challenge me um and it wasn't overt challenging like in my face challenging it was just a a guiding light saying this is a fatherly figure for me at a time when I really felt like I needed something some more structure some more guidance so just by virtue of him being the coach and being there and me not wanting to disappoint him or disappoint my teammates that in and of itself was was a a major driver for me because otherwise I was on a fast track to nowhere man I was not doing good things not taking care of myself you know, and um so I really feel like that was an absolute pivotal time. And uh I feel like the just the the combination of the mentorship, the, the the teammates absolutely propelled me through the rest of my undergraduate career to the degree that then I went on to graduate school because basically I mean the reality is I just didn't try that hard undergrad. I did what I needed to do to get by. Um, and then it was kind of like all right, well And I had studied physical education undergrad again, just because it was probably the quickest ticket. I was already interested in fitness and nutrition and health. And so it really was the quickest ticket out of there. And then I applied to grad schools and got into ASU and moved up to Phoenix. And that was my second major um, introduction to mentorship with my grad school mentor, uh, Brent Alvar, who continues to be just a, a beacon in my world as far as leading by example um, leading the charge in terms of fitness and health and what he's doing in the in the strength and conditioning community and continues to do uh, man that was and then again that the people that surrounded him that thereby were surrounding me was absolutely instrumental
2: wow i want to pause there for a second ben because now you help me turn back to some of the things you said when you were telling your story In Minneapolis and then I want to work our way back to Brent you said things like back in Minneapolis not really feeling motivated but you were forced um, to get things done you talked about the street smarts and and the grunge culture and and kind of juggling it all and how you, you didn't really lean too deep into into the streets but I feel like it also helped teach you a few things. And and the reason why I'm going back here is how would you say your experience of having exposure to the expectation of academics and and also having friends who you hung out with in the streets? What I'm getting at here is it's easy for people to take that wrong turn, go down that path for a long time. And it shows, as you tell me your story, that you could have went nowhere really fast, like you said. So I'm wondering how that attributed in, in a good or bad way Leading up to U of A and then ASU.
0: I mean, I think it's so important for people to have as much exposure to alternative realities as possible. Otherwise, you can just you. We see it now. We see just this aloofness as far as just being completely lost and no em- empathy, no understanding of where people come from, what it's like. You know, people say, "I don't see color." You know, all lives matter. Okay, but you've never experienced and i'm not you know this is it's it's one thing to say that but it's completely another thing to at least be empathic to the fact that someone is brought up in a completely different environment than you and if you've never seen that or you have zero comprehension of what that looks like you know then i don't know how you could actually be empathic to it and and so it makes sense to a degree and it's not fair so in my mind it's like you gotta have the street smarts you gotta have the the real world experience you need to interact with as many people as possible as many cultures as possible you, you know you you gotta understand what people go through um and that shit's not fair people are born with the silver spoon myself included a hundred percent i will not deny that by any stretch and i've had uh, privileges that other people would never have it's that's how it is um, so it's important for me to identify with that and say well because of the privilege that I'm born with you know what are my responsibilities in terms of taking care of my community supporting my hometown community in North Minneapolis Um and and fighting for you know what I believe in, and then as I, you know, as I get older, re- kind kind of reflecting on that and the, the people that I've had in my life who haven't been as privileged as me, um, and learning from them and having those conversations and actually listening and um, you know, so I, I I really feel like it's it's been absolutely crucial.
2: I think that answer speaks for itself, and I couldn't have asked for a better one. I, I want to. Take another step forward. You talked about work ethic. Starting work at 14, I took a job at 15 simply for the sake of just wanting to have my own dollar in my pocket and, and tired of, of not being able to do what I need to do for myself because I felt like I was being controlled by my parents. And that's not what I'm getting at. W- what I am curious about is how does that work ethic starting at that age, because I feel like we're going to start seeing more of it now when we get into this next phase of your life with Brent. How do you think that work ethic starting at that age, where did it come from? And, and how do you think it served you up until that point of meeting Brent? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um,
0: I I don't remember if it was my parents encouraging me to work. Uh, I, I probably didn't need to. But similar to what you just said, I felt like I always had the responsibility and wanted to fight for my own way, my do my own thing. I'm naturally a rebel. So when someone tells me to do something, automatically I take a step back. Um, and I think that probably was a way for me to push myself away from my parents and control. Uh, to say, hey, if I'm making my own money, just this, it, just this inherent responsibility that I have to do that. And that's always been, been present for me, almost to a fault in terms of saying, I don't want anyone to do anything for me, anything. And my wife will give me shit too, because I, I'm, I'm just not great about letting people do stuff for me. I, um, and so I, I guess that was just kind of inborn in terms of, I've always had an extremely strong work ethic, but you know, to be fair, my parents are very hard workers. So they absolutely led by example. And yeah, so that's just been at the forefront uh, of my life is whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to work hard at it. It's just trying to figure out what it is that I'm going to focus on.
2: I love it. That fills in the gaps for me. So now I want to get back to Brent and this, the way I, I see it, this second pivotal moment in your life. And you started talking about you surrounding yourself with him and the people that he surrounded himself with and i feel like that still ties back into the whole idea of mentorship surrounding yourself with successful people and all that good stuff can you help us understand how that relationship looks like you know how it served you what it means to you
0: yeah i mean that was it was great because i literally walked in on the first day of of uh, my master's degree program and he walked up to me and was like, you're Ben Brown. I, you know, I know about you and I'm looking forward to working with you. He technically wasn't my mentor. I actually had another guy, another professor, but Brent was spearheading the strength and conditioning program that he came out of nowhere. The ASU didn't even have a strength and conditioning program. He built it from the ground up. What year was this? This was in 2003 And my, my actual advisor was into basically, he was into um, aging and wellness and working with elderly people. And it just was not like, I had no freaking interest whatsoever. And he was trying to push me into it. And so basically, Brent took me under his wing um, and started to indoctrinate me into uh, kind of the stuff he was doing. And so I was taking classes, learning more exercise and wellness, physiology, exercise, uh, science, um, kinesiology, all of those, those, you know, all those classes. And but on the side, Brent gave me a job working in the fitness center on the ASU East campus because they shared a fitness center with Chandler Gilbert Community College. At the same time, they built out a brent built out took the back to racquetball courts and built in this sport performance center and this was new at the time i mean this was sort of this this new age of sport performance um really getting into this sports specific stuff really getting into how athletes should be training differently um, how we can start to integrate some of this methodology from from you know, for everything from dynamic warmups into sports specific training aspects into exercise testing and methodology um, and literally just threw me to the wolves. And he's like, first, he's like, gave me a great job in the fitness center so I could be, you know, around all of this stuff. Then second to that was like, okay, if you're interested in strength and conditioning, I want you to start training volleyball and men's baseball. You know, and it's like, basically, it's yours, do whatever you want. And that's where the colleagues came in. One of my colleagues who was in his PhD program at the time, or, or just finishing his master's under Dr. Bren Alvar, he had just interned at Athletes Performance, which had just opened, which is now Exos. Wow. And Exos is huge now around the country. But they had really kind of been the first big facility to start doing kind of sports specific training, especially like combine training for NFL athletes uh, and created this whole kind of methodology. One of my colleagues had just finished interning under them. So he had just absorbed all of this incredible information, then yeah. came in, taught it all to, to myself and and a couple of my uh, cohorts in the master's degree program and we just had this really tight-knit group. It was very comparable to, to me growing up with my high school buddies. And, you know, we worked hard. We played hard. Um, we got to train athletes. We got to learn every single day about how to be a better coach. Um, well, how to be a coach, how to be a better coach, how to train. Um, and it would just was like such an incredible growing opportunity, right? right. You're just you're thrown into it. It's like learning a new language and you just – immerse yourself a hundred percent
2: when you say sorry to to cut you off i just want to pause for a second because you said this was new at that time at that year and that one colleague had absorbed that knowledge but do you feel that you guys were essentially also starting something from scratch and, and 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 writing your own playbook when it came to putting this program together or do you feel you already had the tools and resources you need to to build something out
0: No, this was very much building from scratch. I mean, the thing is that, you know, this was kind of, it's crazy that as it is, this is still in the earlier days of strength and conditioning research. So, so we had a very good backbone of, of what works, what doesn't work to a degree, but just in hindsight, the amount of information that's come since then. And, you know, Brent and, um, my colleague Mark at the time were on the forefront of doing some, some pivotal research for hypertrophy, for strength training, um, really doing some of these big meta-analysis on how much volume and frequency intensity do you need to optimize sort of the strength building, muscle building process. And so they were putting out some big time publications for journal strength and conditioning research, which still is at the forefront of sort of highly respected journals for strength and conditioning. Um, so again, just just learning from then and then just building from what we could do. And and there's a lot of confines to, to what you can do in with college athletes. So it was that as well, it's like, yeah, in a perfect world, we would be doing this sort of structure and volume, but then you factor in, but I've got 15 players, I have 45 minutes, we only have X amount of equipment, We need to kind of, and so you're learning the logistical aspects as too, and then you're learning the coaching aspects. I got client, I got players showing up 15 minutes late. You know, I got them complaining about knee pain. I got them not wanting to train. I got them dogging it through workouts. Um, you know, all of the stuff that goes along with coaching, with working with kids, frankly, that aren't necessarily motivated. So it's that huge dynamic as well. And, and it's really just realizing like how to adjust on the fly, because it's never going to be this perfect scenario where I'm going to give you a program and you're going to execute to a T. And even with private clients that are paying top dollar, it's never like that.
2: I'm curious at this time, what did and for lack of better words, what what did the mainstream fitness culture look like outside of what you guys were doing and I'm talking like f- from the folks coming in and out of GNC into your, your, your big box corporate gyms.
0: Jeez, um, we were still in, this was before CrossFit. So we were still in this kind of cardio-driven world of fitness, sort of the, if I wanna lose weight, I need to do more cardio. I need to do higher reps, lower weight type of world. Uh, almost frowned upon for girls to lift heavy weights. Um, Again, we were working with athletes though. So like our female, like I just recalled some of our female basketball and volleyball players were absolute studs. I mean, they were um, incredible work ethic, lifting crazy weight relative to their uh, their body, their own body weight. So, so absolute, their absolute strength or relative strength, I should say. Um, and, uh, but yeah, just from like the fitness center standpoint, it, it was very much kind of cardio centric. Um, I I don't know that we had really embraced as a, as a society embraced the value of true strength training right. of True strength training as a, as a means to improve body composition. That's what I was getting at. Yeah.
2: Okay. So sounds like this is off to a great start in terms of this program and and what you guys are doing. Can you tell us about some of the struggles and then fast forward through what happens beyond, uh, this program at, at ASU? Yeah. I mean,
0: um, it was just a great couple of years, my master's program. Again, we just We, we, uh, I focused on my emphasis with strength and conditioning. I was able to, I don't know if I, I technically ever was, if Brent was ever technically my mentor per se, but I wrote a thesis on, um, you know, the impact of dynamic warmups on sport performance and basically, you know, a lot of the stuff that I take you guys through Uh, before our training sessions, just to activate the muscle groups, switch on the nervous system, get the blood flow running, increase core body temperature. That was completely new. Um, And we didn't really know much about it. You know, the old days was the old days, but I mean, truly there was teams sitting out there on the field doing static stretching, like sit and hold. And if anyone's listening and maybe they're old enough, they recall like before practice or before games, they'd sit there and okay, let's sit and reach for one leg hamstring stretch 30 seconds switch legs you know pull the the heel to the butt hold for 30 seconds like and what we started to realize was this was actually shutting down the nervous system actually increasing the risk of injury and so and, and so, what I had learned from Mark, who learned from Athletes Performance, now Exos was starting to integrate some of this more dynamic, more sports-specific preparation, more more workout-specific preparation techniques. And so I did my research on that, wrote a thesis on that, and ultimately found uh, that these types of dynamic warmups are much more effective from an athletic performance standpoint. And uh, yes, yeah, so that was an amazing experience. Um, being at the forefront of of some of that research, I, even though I never submitted it for publication, I still think that it was, um, probably one of the first research studies done on this type of, of training. Um, yeah. And then, uh, kind of post grad school. So got out of grad school. I had, I had done an internship with the Arizona Cardinals. I wasn't jazzed about what they had going on. They were doing all machine-based training and I don't know, I just didn't really jive with the head strength and conditioning coach at the time. I got out of grad school and um, was kind of looking around and I got a great job with a, a physical therapy company in Scottsdale. Um, And I, as a, as a kind of a physical therapy tech, basically it's the kid who applies like the, the heat pads and the electrostimulation and takes people through their exercises for their rehab. And it was a very good, uh, you know, alternative to what I'd been doing. I'd been working with high performance athletes for all intents and purposes now to go to the rehab setting. And this was owned by one of the head surgeons at the time for the Arizona suns or excuse me, the Phoenix suns. And so it was a great like networking thing. I, I got to meet a lot of really big people in the in the Scottsdale world. Yep. Um, and got to learn a lot of the other side of the equation. You know, in terms of how to to, to build people up from injury, um, and that wasn't the intention, but it just worked out great that way. And and learned some of the remedial type stuff. I learned how to work with patients with, and clients with injuries and limitations and, and all of that stuff. So in hindsight, that was phenomenal. And
2: would you say this was your exposure, your first time exposure to the regular day Joes and Janes?
0: Yeah, for most part. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had kind of trained, I had trained, been training people on and off through, uh, through graduate school. And obviously having been, you know, interested in fitness and strength training since I was a kid, I mean, I think I had a pretty good understanding for, for just someone in general. Um, And I think that I always, it just for, for me, this always came naturally. So um, just, you know, an eye for movement, for seeing how people move, for understanding, obviously having a background in, in exercise physiology and understanding movement um, to some degree and, and, and biomechanics. Um, but it was a great, yeah, it was a great addition to my knowledge base. And uh, I did that for, I, I want to say maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. And then I got hired on as uh, the head uh, coach at a physical therapy clinic that also does sports specific training nice. and so in each of their clinics around the valley they have like small areas that have strength training and high-speed treadmill training and it's called foothills uh sports medicine they've got a bunch of clinics around for physical therapy and the, the sports specific aspect was those foothills acceleration and sports training and i i opened their i opened their scottsdale one of their scottsdale locations and again, that, that gave me a really great hybrid to basically do everything that I'd done up to that point. I got to do the sports specific stuff with athletes, with high school athletes, with professional athletes. And then I got to do the personal training and I got to do the remedial stuff as well with physical therapy clients that were transitioning into more everyday activities of daily living and strength training. And I was there for, you know, I was there for actually, geez, I don't know, I'll, I'll say six months or a year, but what I didn't mention was during grad school, my wife, who my girlfriend at the time, um, she had moved out. She, she had moved in with me and she uh, had a job at this private golf club community called the Mirabelle Club in North Scottsdale. And they were just kind of opening up, but it was this high-end private golf club community. They had just opened a little fitness center in their, in their clubhouse. And there were some members that expressed interest in getting some personal training. And uh, so she asked if I was interested and I was like, sure, on the side, like I could probably get up there a couple of days a week to train some clients. And I'd never really done the kind of one-on-one personal training before. And the first client I sat down with, she, so I'm like super nervous, right, to to tell her how much I charge. And I had no freaking idea what to charge anyways. And so I'm like, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. And here's You know, how frequently do you want to train? I said, okay, it's fifty dollars an hour, and and she said, okay. Or actually, she said, oh, that's it. You need to raise your rates. Wow. This is the first client I've ever trained. This is two thousand and three, maybe two thousand four. She pulls out her checkbook and writes me a check for five hundred dollars. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, there's something here. And so over the years, as I was, you know, got through school, started these jobs where I was grinding my ass off, um, you know, working early mornings, late nights, uh, making peanuts. And I've got this sort of side gig building where I'm slowly building my clientele at the Mirabelle Club to the point where it was just like, okay, well, I could basically pick up a few more clients, be making the exact same amount of money and working probably less than half the time. And so it pretty quickly became a no brainer to drop the the J-O-B and go off on my own, so to speak. And just, I started an LLC, started personal training up at the club, built my clientele and that ventured off into a bunch of other opportunities in terms of, I, I got to open up one of their golf clubs in North Carolina. My wife and I got to travel to Hawaii, wow. spend time working at one of their clubs, um, And that was several years of just, honestly, we were living the dream. I mean, she was making great money as their member services director. We had no responsibilities. I was 20. No, so this was between maybe 25 and 27, 24 and 27. Uh, I was making great money as a personal trainer, all cash. Um, Not even working that much, (laughs) you know, and, um, yeah, it was just, you know, life was good. Um, and then we, we got married. Uh, and shortly thereafter was kind of like the kid conversation. And that's when life definitely went into a, a different
2: direction. I'm, I'm glad you went there. So b- before we take that turn, I have a couple of questions here. Actually, the first one's more seeking advice for anyone that's listening, because you talked about how Brandt on paper wasn't your mentor. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is sometimes I have this conversation with folks and they say, I, I don't think I really have mentors in my life, or, or they kind of roll their eyes when, when you use the word mentor, because it sounds so woo-woo sometimes. I'm wondering, you know, what would you say to folks like that who are seeking some additional push or additional direction in, in terms of, uh, of getting to where they want to go, um, but maybe don't have a mentor or are struggling to identify those people in their life? Mm. It's a good question.
0: I would say that there probably is someone there that you can align with. I think when we're young, and I certainly say this in hindsight, but I think when we're young, we want to believe that we have the answers. We know exactly what we're doing. And, and this was the hardest thing for me, as I alluded to earlier, was admitting that I didn't have the answers and not being able to do everything myself. The whole, you know, I had a point in my undergraduate career where we had some family connections in Tucson at University of Arizona. And I basically got accepted into the University of Arizona business school without even applying, you know, in terms of strings pulled, like I had gone and met with kind of my second uncle who is a big wig in Tucson. And he said, I'll help you out in any way I can, made a call to the, you know, business uh, dean, put me into, got me accepted in business school. I didn't realize the value at that time. So I didn't take it, you know, I didn't accept it. Um, I just went on with my bullshit. Um, so I, I think that, and, and I'm not upset about that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad things have turned out the way they have. I just think it could have been a very different trajectory. Of my life again, not good or bad. It's just the way that I think we have different opportunities, and we sort of pick and choose which way we go. Um, I think things work out for the better. But in terms of mentorship, I think you just got to find someone that you resonate with. That's in moving in the direction that you want to go, and you got to basically acknowledge that that's what's happening. Um, I think I've had a ton of mentors. You know, even just. Training clients who are older than me. One of the things I started to value most was when I got out of my own BS um, and realizing that I don't have the answers and I could learn so much from these people is just just training them. This is like, dude, this is free education right here. Like life education of asking them questions. Where'd you come from? What were some of the struggles you encountered? Like what would you have done differently? Um, what would you recommend for... know where I am now Uh, I mean these are people that were if people if someone can afford you know personal training usually they're doing quite well Um, at least the the personal training that I was offering and you know that means that they've probably been through a lot of struggles and 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 failures so to speak in their life Uh, and um, obviously been rewarded to some degree for their hard work in which case why not try and learn from them so I would just say You know, put your BS aside, find someone that you can resonate with, that's where you want to be, and just start to ask questions, start to learn from them. And you'd be surprised at what they're willing to share, what they'd love to share, and how much you can truly glean from their life experiences and how it's going to apply directly to you.
2: It sounds like not only having that hunger for additional knowledge and life stories from these people. But it sounds like humility also ties into that that approach. Okay, so the next one I wanted to talk about is as you tell your story, it, to the person who doesn't know you and have worked with you, it just sounds like you went from one place to the next and you're hopping and skipping. And I feel like the person listening can be like, man, this guy had all the opportunities. He's so lucky. And I know that's not the case, but I feel like, and I'm glad you mentioned it, I feel like that first check at $500 is really tied into this fast lane for you. And I'm I'm curious how opportunities and luck and preparation. I think you see where I'm going with this. I'm wondering how that really played into that 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 time period of your life before you really buckled down and started a family.
0: Yeah. So I think that there's always luck involved. There's always timing involved, but it's not without the work ethic that's underpinning everything. Like I busted my ass to get through my graduate degree you know, I busted my ass to finish off my undergraduate degree. I busted my ass to play rugby for one of the top, you know, programs in the country. And I don't know. I just, I I think that you you could look at it as, as being lucky. I think you could look at it as having opportunity, but I I think that without the work ethic and putting myself in uncomfortable positions, like, so for example, um, with ASU, I, 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 didn't do that amazing undergrad. By the time I got serious, my grades weren't incredible. I knew that I probably wouldn't get into a decent grad school if I didn't try and pull some strings. So I drove up to, I kind of researched the, the program. Um, I drove up to Phoenix one day and set a meeting before I had even, uh, I, I think I had applied, but I made sure to, I, I went and set a meeting with the director of the program. Wow. And I went up and interviewed with her I just asked her if, if I could have a sit down with her, ask her some questions, and then straight up would just flirted my ass off with her. <laughs> um, and she loved me, you know, and on, I swear to God, I swear that was the only reason I got accepted into um, the program. I mean, I don't know, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I think you need to do what you need to do to, uh, to make stuff happen, and it's about putting yourself out there and getting uncomfortable. That's
2: the part I like. Uh, that's the part. That's what I was looking for. Is not, not, not to say that I was looking for those words, but once you said it, it's the uncomfortable situations, and I feel like that's really helped. Well, that's one hundred percent
0: what it is because you never know what you're doing. Like I didn't know what I was doing when we started the strength and conditioning program. He said, start. A, he said, just start training the athletes, and we had to figure it out. And that's when you learn the most. It's like. I didn't know what I was doing going to graduate school. I didn't know, you know, what I was doing starting my own business. But you just start and you figure it out. And was I scared? A hundred percent. But is it worth it? A hundred percent. And that's the biggest thing is like now I get excited when I have that feeling Of fear and discomfort because I know it's making me grow and so it's always about asking myself and this is more from a 30,000 foot view but it's always like how comfortable am I right now because if I'm sitting here feeling comfortable I'm not pushing myself hard enough and I need to those things that are on the horizon that I'm my stomach starts to churn about those are the things that I need to start to lean into and focus on how I'm going to to move close to that, I th- honestly, that's the key to growth for me. I love that, hundred
2: percent. That resonates with me, one hundred percent too. Now you start, to, you start a family, and I feel like a lot also happens there with business too, because I, I could imagine you have to take a different approach to the long term, especially with 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 planning a family. So, what happens? What happens in this next chapter?
0: Yeah, so we had uh, we got married in two thousand seven, had our first kid in two thousand nine. For some ridiculous reason, six months into our first kid, I decided I needed to go back to school for a second master's degree um, w- while also running my own training business, while my wor- wife was working crazy hours at her job. How old were you at this point? I was 29, Got 29. Um, so I enrolled in a clinical nutrition master's degree program. So basically nights and weekends, I was working my ass off on that. Training. We had a second kid two years later in 2011, and uh, I still it took me it took me like four and a half years to get through this program. Um, but my wife stopped working after the second after Ava our second girl, and that was when shit got real, like really real. Why? Because she was making a great income, and it was gone. And then it very quickly it was like okay wow, I didn't realize the type of pressure that this was going to mean for me. I had kind of just been gliding, to be honest, with my training business. Um, I I don't think I was very assertive in terms of how to effectively grow it. Um, I had gotten, you know, clients had been getting good results. Uh, All of my clients were coming as by means of referral for the most part. I didn't do any marketing. Uh, this is where friction comes into the picture a hundred percent. And this was like, okay, opening my eyes to how do I effectively grow and scale a business? And that doesn't require me to just continue to work more hours because I've got a, a degree to finish up and I have two little kids to be there for. And that was really, really hard for years. It was really hard. Um, and you know, to be fair, it's still like, uh, it, it still is present in terms of having that back against the wall type feeling, which isn't a bad place to be.
2: But it's not gliding. <laughs> it's definitely not, not gliding. gliding. I, I read your I read your website again just to to refresh my memory. Is this is this what leads to your immune system crashing?
0: Yeah, I was just fried. I was, and it was like just the ego. So I was training clients early still getting in, trying to get my workouts in, still crushing myself in the gym, probably not eating great, uh, super stressed out, not sleeping enough, trying to finish this graduate degree. And it was just like one thing after another. And I had had some health issues growing up with some stomach issues and poor immune system. And I'd been on a ton of antibiotics growing up. And I think I just just was just fried. Um, And yeah, I just kind of crashed like chronic fatigue type symptoms. I could not pull myself out of bed. I'd be training clients and like, it was just a zombie. It's like, I got to fi- And I think that was part of the reason that I started to study nutrition more closely. It's like, I got to figure this out, figure out what's going on with me so that I can not only help myself, help other people. And that's when I really started to dig into nutrition wow. and kind of,
2: so it wasn't prior to 2930, it wasn't at the forefront. Of, of everything you were doing it had
0: been a slow build okay. like I had always been into nutrition I was new kind of like I was ate relatively well again like I said growing up you know I wanted to be like a navy seal and and so I was always f- focused to some degree on fueling myself accordingly I'd always been into supplementation so when I was in high school it was like Protein powder and, and shit, nasty, chalky protein powder and creatine and some of these uh, GNC type supplements and um, what have you. So I was always, it, it was on, it was top of mind always, but it, you know, with training, my focus had really just been on the training aspect. And then I started to realize very quickly like, if people are going to get good results, they've got to dive into the nutrition like that's so much more powerful. And so in order to do that, as, you know, as I learned from my parents, it's like, well, then you go back to school and you study your ass off and you learn. And so, um, you know, my family's steeped in academia. My dad has a PhD in microbiology. And not only that, he's a, a litigator. So he went to law school after that. And my mom is a master's. And, wow. and teaching um, Spanish. And so it was just like, that's what you did. And I think part of me also was like, I want to make my parents proud, which means if I'm, if I'm enrolled in school, they're proud of me. And so that's what I'm going to do. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's when I really started to get into the nutrition aspect and, and figured my own stuff out and figured I was just doing too much, needed to, to eat better for me, heal my gut, um, identify with, of what that meant from a food standpoint. And then just by virtue of doing all that, really learned how to help my clients improve, how to manage their stressors, improve their lifestyle, uh, kind of balance their training and nutrition. And uh, so that was great. It just was years of, of really toiling with different opportunities and I think getting lost with shiny object syndrome. Of We all have opportunities presented to us. And you never know which direction to go. And it's exciting to have an opportunity, especially as an entrepreneur. And you understand this is, is we love the creation mode. We love the excitement, the, the, you know, the, the idea of creating something new and fresh. Right. And it's. The problem becomes when you start to get into it, then how do I maintain it? How do I continue to improve it? How do I start to do all the things that aren't shiny and sexy?
2: What happens when it starts actually feeling like work?
0: What happens when it starts feeling like work? And there are many, many, many situations I got myself into that ended up setting me back. That wasn't just, I could have just put my nose down and said, I'm gonna grow my nutrition coaching or my, my, my personal training business. I was getting busy. I brought on another trainer. I was training her, you know, um, mentoring her. We were getting busy. And then all of a sudden I got through my mind, no, I'm just going to transition online, which wasn't in hindsight, like that was a good idea, just maybe not the best timing. Mm. So I basically said, I'm going to transition everything online and do only nutrition coaching online and kind of took one step forward, two steps back in terms of not leveraging my existing clientele. I'm not continuing to grow that while trying to go online, almost like sabotaging myself in a way. At the same time, we started a supplement company. At the same time, I started this corporate wellness business. And so you can quickly see, like, I've got my foot in five different doors. And frankly, I just don't have the time and energy or resources to focus on any one of them with any considerable amount of energy that's that's going to require it to be, you know, need it to be successful. So that's just like, that's been the story of my life over the past several years to the point where when we come back to that 2019, it was I am focused on this corporate wellness program exclusively. I need to make sure that this program is sound and stable and kicking ass before I do anything else. And at that same time, I kind of, got it to where it needed to be i started growing the like probably made a concerted effort to start growing my online coaching business again it had kind of been on the back burner since maybe 2016 um, when we started the corporate 2015 when we started the corporate wellness program to okay this is sound and stable now i'm going to continue to i'm going to go back into growing this online coaching business and um And and I started to grow that to the point where now we're 18 months later and it's finally at a point where it's, you know, uh, it's doing great.
2: I love that you brought us back to 2018, 2019. I'm curious, though, what did that, whether it's the conversation you had with your wife or the conversation you were having internally, that tipping point, five, five feet in five different doors, but when, when, it come, when it came to overcoming that, what, what, what did that sound like? How did that resolve work out in your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was just enough pain and frustration of not moving forward. A lot of great ideas, a lot of great opportunity, but ultimately it was just myself holding, me holding myself back and, you know, getting pushed to the point where it's like, I just need to be all in on something. And it really was just forced into like through the business buy the, the partnership buyout was like, I need this program to survive. And if I don't put everything into this right now, it's not going to make it. And my family can't afford to be in that position. Um and you have so many of those conversations. I mean, I hope I think it's it was a necessary evil throughout the years, but there were many times when I was middle of the night just worried about, you know, strapped, just strapped and like got these young kids. I got this business that's not doing amazing. I got my wife on my ass, you know, to, (laughs) um, to get it together basically. Um, obviously in a nice way, but you know, there comes a point where it's like, I I need to just do what needs to be done. And I I think for me that was like, okay, you got to be all in on this. And then from this things will grow. Uh, and and that's what's happened so it's it's been a very uncomfortable undulating precarious journey but that's shit man that's like i said i mean that's how you grow so it makes it all worth it
2: you you took us to the finish line in such a beautiful way honestly there's so many things that, that you said I, I i didn't even know i was looking for those answers but it was great and we've we've reached the top of an hour so that was a, a really smooth and easy conversation. I, I think the last one I want to part with, and I, I ho- hope this doesn't bring us to a, a, a depressing mindset, but currently in 2020, we already all know what's going on. You made mention of just the uh, injustices that, that are going on around us. That, that already weighs heavy on a lot of people's minds. Not only that, we also have COVID. So how, how is Ben Brown thriving or trying to fight to continue to sustain everything in today's climate?
0: The the best that I can by focusing on the stuff that I can control. And that's not honestly, it's just like, okay, every day, like am I getting lost in Facebook feed arguing bullshit with people? Am I getting lost reading fear-mongering news feeds? Am I getting lost worrying about people getting too close to me? No, I'm going to focus on the stuff that I've control over, which is teaching my kids how to be a human being, an empathic,, um, you know, socially responsible, good, morally, ethically sound human being, and have these hard conversations with them so that they understand what the world is really like and not hide them behind, you know the walls of privilege. Um, I'm going to do the things that I can do that I think are going to make a difference in the world, which means continuing to positively impact, not only my children, but all of the people that I surround myself with my clientele. Um, I'm going to continue to speak my truth through whatever platform I have, um, and offer my support in that way. And I'm going to contribute, you know, financially to the to the causes that I think are going to make a difference. Um, you know, that's I think the best that I can do right now. It's not going to probably serve many people for me to be ranting this, that, and the other on social media, and it's a waste of my time and it's a waste of your time. So I'm just going to try and do the best I can with those in those capacities. I'm concerned about the economic future. As a, as a husband, as a father, as a man, um, I need to make sure that my family is supported and taken care of. And so I'm also going to be very diligent about using this time to create opportunity and not sit and lament, um, and live in a state of fear, but I'm going to fucking seize the opportunity. Like, I don't care what people say. There's a lot of opportunity right now, always in a depression, and I'm concerned about what's gonna happen come fall. Um, so you better bet your butt that I am grinding right now to ensure that our financial stability is gonna be in place if and when things get more challenging. And I'm very grateful to be doing what I do. I love what I do every single day. Um, I'm very grateful to have created a business that's now in the virtual space. Like what better timing is there uh, when we are now living in this truly in this virtual world, it's, it's, it's unbelievable timing. Um, and that's luck, you know, it's luck and timing and, and hard work and all of those things come together. So shit, dude, that's, I, I mean, that's my perspective. I, I just don't have time or energy to get lost in the minutia of the things I can't control. And if, if we all can do that, then I think we can continue to make the world a better place. But you got to dissociate yourself from those, the, the noise. It's just not healthy for us. And you got to go, you know, turn inside and take care of yourself first and foremost. And be, the, be the, the beacon of energy and light that everyone around you needs to rely on. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't have the energy to take care of anyone else.
2: Amen.
1: Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening and if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.